Let's go to God in prayer as we get into our lesson. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for the opportunity we have to come and to lift songs of praise into your throne room this morning, to spiritually commune with you and with each other around your table. We thank you for the opportunity of prayer, for the opportunity to hear your word read this morning. And God, now as we open up that word and we try to to grow in it, in, in our knowledge and in our actions, God, help us to look at this passage today not just as words on a page, but as, as something living that can connect with us and to help us grow in your ways today. Bless us, God, in this time. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So I've got some good friends. Their names are Greg and Mary Smith. And we were at their house one time, and they have a huge family. And one of their grandchildren, his name was Titus, or is Titus, was four or five years old at the time, and he was leading prayer that that evening for the meal that we were all invited to. And he starts his prayer, and he starts thanking God for what we would consider the normal things for his mom and his dad and his brothers and his, his cousins that were there and for his Mimi and his Poppy, for his aunts and his uncle. Then he moved on to the food and he began to thank God for, for each individual plate of, or dish of food that Mary had, uh, had prepared that evening. And then he begins to thank God for the forks and for the knives. And then he, he kind of looks up and he lays, puts his head back down and goes, and God, thank you so much for the tea. For the good tea and the bad tea, sweet and unsweet. For the Capri Suns, and when he said Capri Suns, Greg, his, his poppy was holding him, and Greg, Greg whispers about like I'm talking right now, and he whispers in his ear, and he goes, in Christ's name, and Titus looks at him and goes, I am not finished being thankful yet. <laughs> There's a lesson in that, isn't there? I'm not finished being thankful yet. As we open up our Bible to the book of Acts in chapter 6 today, we have been on this journey together through the book of Acts, through the first six chapters, and we have seen a lot of amazing things happen in the first few chapters of this book. We have seen the Holy Spirit just come onto the scene and just just empower these apostles and these early Christians. If you think back, we start out with 120 Okay, And then that turns into thousands upon thousands upon thousands of new Christians in just, in just a matter of months in the city of Jerusalem. And a lot of positive and exciting things that happened. Now there have been some moments of challenge. There have been some moments of challenge. Some guys had gotten arrested. Some guys had been put in jail. But the Holy Spirit always showed up and always helped them through those moments to a moment and to a point that when they got there, they counted it a blessing to have gone through that much persecution, to go through that much conflict in the name of Jesus. And this group of Christians, they're on what we would call, I guess you could say, a spiritual high. Now, when we're on these spiritual high moments, when we come back, uh, one of my favorite things growing up was when we would go on youth retreats. And when you come back from a weekend where you're just with your youth group and 
and your soul just, you're connected with each other and you walk back into school that next day, you're just on fire for Jesus. You're, you're on that spiritual high. When you're on those spiritual highs, how easy is it to be thankful? Boy, it's very easy, isn't it? <coughs> when you're on those spiritual highs, it is so easy to look around and go, oh man, God is just blessing me right now. And the church, as we come into the chapter 6, I believe that's where they are. I believe that's where they are. They have grown to the point to where these 12 apostles aren't really capable, not capable, but, but they don't have the time to minister in the way that they really needed to be ministered to. And so they have church growth problems. I've always thought you've got three types of problems. You've got good church problems, just normal church problems and bad church problems. And I've always said and I've always had the opinion that I have no issue with church growth problems. My issue is with dying church problems. You know what I mean? But you're always going to have problems, so why not make them good problems to have, right? And so in chapter 5 or chapter 6, they kind of have that good problem. That they need some guys to step up and to lead in a servant way. So they pick some guys that are able to do that. And one of them is a man by the name of Stephen. Now, in chapter 6 and verse 5, all these guys' names are mentioned that they chose. But Stephen is set apart a little bit. It says they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So here is a man that there was something about his life that kind of brought him above the rest. That when you looked out and you saw all these men, you knew that there was something different about Stephen. Stephen had elevated his work in the church to the point that it had been noticed that he's just not a good worker. But this guy is faithful, and not just faithful, he is full of the Spirit of God. He was, he was going to let the Spirit lead him in everything he did. And that somewhat got Stephen in trouble. Let's pick up in chapter 6 and verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, also called, as it is also called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the providence of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then... They secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses and testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, and changed the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, through chapter 7, he's going to give his defense. And he's going to talk a lot about their history, and a lot about their past, and a lot about what they should be thankful for. But then, if you pick up with me in chapter 7, 
starting in verse 51, says, You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors who always resisted the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. He's, he's bold, if nothing else, isn't he? When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voice, they all rushed at him, dragged him into the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Jesus, Lord, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold these sins against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. Things are going great. This new church is growing by leaps and bounds. Yeah, there's been some difficulties, but there's been plenty of reasons to be thankful for what's going on. But now, now all of a sudden... Someone's been killed for it. Someone's been killed for it. And things change. People get scared. People begin to to scatter because of the persecution. Now, you may be thinking, how in the world does the story of Stephen's death and the idea of thanksgiving or thankfulness tie hand in hand? Well, I'm going to give you some things this morning that will help you understand that. Well, let me begin by saying this, even in our own lives, even in our own lives, we will always struggle with finding reasons to be thankful when times are difficult. It's just human nature. So what does scripture say that can encourage us, that can encourage us to be more faithful in that way when times are difficult. Well, here's some things that I want you to, to take with you this morning. The first thing is this. Understand that difficult times are inevitable. Difficult times are inevitable. Jesus says, there, there's two ways to think of this. Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, or not the end of the Sermon on the Mount, but the Beatitudes, he's giving all these, these ways that you're going to be blessed. And then at the end of that, and we really don't always include this because I think it scares us, he says, and I'm going to paraphrase this, Blessed are you when people talk ugly about you, when people say ugly things about you, when they persecute you, when they do bad things to you because of your faith in me. We don't like that idea, do we? We don't like the idea of persecution. And really and truly in our country, as as frustrated as we get sometimes, a lot of times the extent of our persecution... As Christians, this is just my perspective, is a matter of whether you leave the TV turned on or leave it turned off. How many of you watch the news and you get frustrated with the world's attitude or the nation's attitude towards Christians sometimes? Any of you? And you know what you're able to do? 
Just turn the TV off. If you ever get frustrated watching something, quit watching it, okay? Quit watching it. Get that negative out of your life. Don't, don't allow the world to control your mood. Allow God to give you joy. But we, we watch these things and we hear things, but have you ever, and some of you may have, but have we as a church really ever truly been persecuted for being here this morning? No, not really. I would argue that maybe that's because we're really truly not living that spirit-filled life that we should sometimes. But Jesus says, hey, if you're going to follow me, opposition will follow. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when difficult times come because of your faith. That's the one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is just, hey, in life, it's going to be tough sometimes. James says, consider it pure joys when you face trials of any kind. That idea of trials that he's talking about is as you're walking through life, things just kind of being thrown at you. I've always thought of the illustration, and then I could see how it could get out of hand really quick. I've always wanted to have someone walk down the middle aisle, and as they walk down the aisle, have people on either side of the pews throw tennis balls at them. And then I think, you know, if you get the wrong guy throwing a tennis ball and hit some guy in the head or in the eye or something, you know, I could see that could get out of control real quick. Some little kid get a tennis ball and throw it back, you know, But you get the illustration, right? That's what that idea of trials is. That as I'm walking down life, there's things that are going to happen that I can't control, and they're just going to hit me. And James says, in those moments, you consider it pure what? Let's try that again. Consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance you know that going through difficult moments when you keep your focus on God which is the next point we'll talk about that it helps you grow but I want you to understand something this morning it's normal for us to struggle it's normal for us to struggle David's been teaching from 2nd Timothy the last few Sundays in his class and if you fast forward to the end of 2nd Timothy you get Paul kind of talking about some people that he's disappointed in. In the last few weeks, as he's been going through this section, I've been thinking and, and, and reminding myself when I hear these passages that even Paul was human. You get to the end of 2 Timothy, and you've got an old Paul, a guy that is battle-worn, and you almost can hear his frustrations coming out as he's talking about some people that have really let him down. And that gives me a little bit of hope in my life that if Paul can get frustrated and can get aggravated, then it's not out of the realm of possibility for me to get frustrated and aggravated at things that happen in life as well. But just understand this morning, if you're carrying pain, if you're carrying difficulties with you right now, Not to minimize them, but let me say this. It's okay. Because that's part of life. Now, how do we find thankfulness in those moments? Well, that's the second idea here. The second idea here comes from as as Stephen is fixing to be stoned. He looks up and he sees heaven open. And what does he see? He says, I see. He didn't see nothing, people, okay? He said, I see who? The glory of God and Jesus. 
The glory of God in Jesus. He looks up to heaven and he goes, this is my perspective. As I'm dealing with difficult moments in life, my perspective is still on who? It is still on the Savior. Difficult times come, okay? So I want you to go back with me in the story of Jesus. And they're in a boat, and, and all day long, all day long, Jesus has been talking about faith, the faith of a mustard seed, the faith of all these things. It was the message of the day. And he's talking about just believing and having faith and letting that rule and lead your life. And now the apostles and disciples are all on a boat, middle of the Sea of Galilee. A storm comes up, and you've got a bunch of fishermen in these boats, and they're scared to death. And they are so focused on the storm that they forget the power of Jesus who's in the boat with them. Jesus looked at him at the beginning of the story and said, hey, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. And I'm going to tell you this morning, if Jesus says get in the boat and Jesus says we're going to the other side, where's that boat going to go? To where? The other side. It doesn't matter if there's a storm. Your captain can walk on water. And if you have enough faith in him, you can walk on water too. But they lost focus. We've got a new phrase that we use with Britain. Because when you're trying to get on to a two-year-old, which is almost the most redundant thing I've ever done in my life, we have to look at her and go, Britain, look at my face. Look at my face. Why do I have to say that to her? Because she's going to look anywhere but at me when, when she's in trouble. Look at my face. And Jesus, as they're in the boat, he gets up. And he stands at the, the front of the boat, and they're going, hey, don't you care if we drown? You don't care about us anymore? And he stands up, and, and, and I've always kind of thought, you know, we, you kind of have this peace be still, this grand. I, I see a frustrated Jesus going, everybody stop. Stop everything. You know, like he's just been woken up from a deep sleep. He's not in a good, have you ever been broke, woken up from a deep sleep with people yelling at you? Kids? Are you in a majestic mood at that point, or are you just a tad bit aggravated? And Jesus steps up and goes, just stop. And everything stopped. And he turns around and looks at those disciples, and he goes, you have little faith. You quit looking at my face. See, when we quit looking at the face of Jesus, then we focus on the wind, the waves, the lightning, the storm around us. We forget the power of the Savior who's in the boat with us. We forget that he said, hey, get in the boat with me. We're going to the other side. You've been baptized. You've had your sins washed away. You're in the ark of safety. Now, trust me when I say we're going to the other side. Our perspective in times of difficulty are so important. Because when our face, or when we're looking at the face of Jesus, when that is our focus, regardless of what's going on, you know what we're going to be able to do? We're going to be able to give thanks. Because our perspective is where it needs to be. And when our perspective is where it needs to be, then we will remember, then we will realize who God is and the sovereignty that God has. We will remember. There's a couple of truths here that I want you to, to remember this morning. The first is this. God is in control. God is in control. That scares some of us. Because some of us like to be in control, don't we? 
Do any of you live with anybody that prefers to be in control all the time? One hand went up real quick and one followed not far after that. There's a couple of people looking at their spouse and that's, that's the fun one, you know. I can see that and none of the rest of you can. Being in control is a big thing, isn't it? We like it when our ideas, our ways, the way we want something to happen takes place and then when it works out really well. Now, if it doesn't work out the way it's supposed to, you know why? It's because other people got involved and messed it up, right, David? If David had it his way, it was always going to work out. If someone else got involved with it and it didn't go the way it was supposed to, it's because they really didn't do what David wanted them to do in the first place. And I use David because Jackie was the first one to raise her hand. So we like being in control. One of the most difficult things in our faith is to let God have control of our life, to trust in him and to follow him. But the second truth is this. Not only is God in control, but God is good. God is good. No matter what covenant God entered into with his people, he always entered into that covenant with the purpose of making their life better. If you follow me, your life is going to be better. It's not always going to be easy. There's a difference in better and easy, and we get that. It's not always going to be perfect. It's not always going to be roses. They people are going to persecute you if you follow me. Consider it pure joy when you face trials because they're coming. It's not always going to be easy. But if you follow me, I'll give you the Spirit of God that will help you overcome those things. If you keep your perspective on me, if you will look at my face, you will always be moving in the right direction during moments of difficulty. God is good. God is good. And when we understand that, it's so much easier to let God have control. And you see that in the last words of Stephen. Stephen's last words match the last words of who? Christ. Jesus' last words, or or some of his last words, where he looked out among those standing around him and he says, Forgive them, because they have no idea what they're doing. And Stephen ended his life with words very similar as he looked around and he says, basically, don't hold this against them. But he was able to do that because he understood who was in control and he always kept his eyes on the face of Jesus. You know, we're coming out of Thanksgiving, as Jonathan prayed, out of Thanksgiving and into the holiday season, a time where we're busy. It's one of the busier times of year. But it's also a time of year where we're, we're forced to kind of stop and, and take a little bit of inventory. It's easy this time of year to look back at the year and see the things that have happened, see the positive things, the negative things, where we need to grow, where we've grown. And it's so encouraging to have those moments that just make us stop and think about how thankful we should be. But as Christians, every day should be a day of thanksgiving. Every day should be a day that we look at the face of Jesus and say, thank you for what you did for me. Thank you for saving my soul. I was reading a a book one time, and the author told this story. He, He was in... He was in Rio de Janeiro, 
and he was doing some mission work. And every day he would go to this coffee place and, and drink a cup of coffee before he went and taught his Bible class for the day. And every day there's always kids running around. If you've been to any of these, these countries like this, you know there's kids running around asking for money and handouts and, and different things. And, and so this particular day, and he made a habit of this, and instead of giving the young child money, he would take them into the coffee shop with him and buy him some food, buy him a pastry of some sort. And so this particular day he does that. He brings this young man in. He buys him a couple of pastries. And he said something different happened this day. Usually as he, as he buys these pastries, these kids just run off. He said this day, this kid comes back up to him and he goes, thank you. And he looked at him and he said, you're welcome. He goes, no, thank you very much. And he walked out. And this is what he writes. As he's remembering this moment, he goes, all of a sudden, I had a crazy craving to buy him the whole restaurant. But before I could say anything, he turned and scampered out the door. As I write this, I'm still standing at the coffee bar. My coffee is cold and I'm late for my class, but I still feel the sensation that I felt half an hour ago. And I'm pondering this question, and this is what moved me. If I am so moved by a street orphan who says thanks for a piece of bread. How much more is God moved when I pause to thank him, really thank him for saving my soul? Have you done that lately? Have you just taken a moment and thanked God for saving you? I think it's easy to take our salvation for granted. It's easy for it to just... The, the power of it to fade away into the background. But this morning, I challenge you to remember the power of your salvation this morning, what it means. And maybe, maybe you've never had the opportunity to thank God for that salvation because you've never accepted that salvation yet. You've never accepted that particular gift from God. This morning is the morning you need to change that. Jesus simply says, if you believe in me and are baptized, you will be saved. It's not a challenging concept. It's not a deep or difficult concept. Do you believe in him? Do you believe that he is the son of God and that he died for you? If so, then don't make it difficult. Be baptized into the waters of salvation so that you can say thank you to God this morning. There is a God. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. Our Sunday worship services are at 1030 a.m., and 6 o'clock p.m. with Bible classes on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to listen again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for our community.